Uh, listen, sorry about last week. I, uh, I, I was just pooped out. I just was dead. Feeling a lot better this week. I, I, I still have a little bit of gunk, as you can tell from my voice, but uh, feeling much, much better, especially after that worship set. Man, man, that was just happening. That was happening. Oh, I just love it. I got so excited, I got, I spilled my water all over my notes. So this is a, so the sermon has been baptized, so you know it's going to be anointed, all right? So. Okay, so we're uh, in a series on temptation, and uh, I want to talk this morning about the role of Satan and demons when it comes to temptation, I'm talking about spiritual warfare. Um, and I want to say this, if, if, in fact, we're titling this uh, Living in Resistance, uh, for reasons that will become clear here in a little bit. But this message really feels uh, huge to me. Um, it, it didn't feel extraordinarily huge when I began it, uh, but just the way it came together, uh, it really feels, uh, it's got gravitas to it. So I really want you to be paying attention uh, to this, uh, especially the last 15 minutes. It just, it, we're hitting on some, I mean, pay attention even before then, all right? <laughs> but, but especially towards the end, uh, it, it, it just uh, has got, I feel an urgency to this. Um, I'll start with this sort of preliminary word. A lot of folks have trouble taking Satan seriously. Maybe some folks in this room or listening through podcasts just have trouble believing in the reality of Satan. Um, I just meet Christians all the time who just think that that's a metaphor or something like that. And I strongly disagree with that position, uh, mainly because I have got really good, rational, compelling reasons for thinking Jesus Christ is Lord, and I don't see how you can confess Jesus Christ is Lord and still reserve the right to correct his theology, especially about something as central as this. Jesus clearly believed in the reality of Satan and demons. In fact, it was the center part of his worldview. And for my two cents, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me, All right? So, uh, so I'm, I'm going with it. But part of the reason why folks have trouble uh, believing in Satan today is that it just, it has to do with the, the way that Satan is typically depicted. You know, the, this uh, red horned creature uh, who's got a mustache and beard and hooves for feet and, and a spiked tail and carrying a pitchfork. Um, that just seems silly and unreal to a lot of folks. And since the images are silly and unreal, they conclude that the very concept of Satan is silly and unreal. Now, here's the thing. That depiction of Satan, and every depiction of Satan, is mythological. Uh, the way that we tend to envision Satan goes back to the Middle Ages. In fact, it's largely derived from the Greek god Pan. That's Pan on the right there. He's got some kicking abs, but... Um, <laughs> This, this was the, the, the way that ancient Greeks thought about this, this, this god Pan. Uh, he's the god of the wild. In fact, um, some scholars argued that we get the word panic from, it originates from this Greek god Pan. Uh, it had originally meant coming under the influence of Pan. Uh, he's a terrifying deity. And Christians, for a variety of reasons, began to associate that with Satan. And so that became the primary way that we depict Satan. And we got the tail and the wings later on. But uh, that, that's how we conceive of Satan. Now, the thing was is that these images are meant to, to be scary and terrifying. And they worked in the Middle Ages. They, they captured the horrific evil of Satan. And, and it, it helped people in the Middle Ages take Satan seriously. But these days, it has the opposite effect. Uh, these images strike us as silly and unreal. And therefore, people tend to associate Satan with what's silly and unreal. Uh, and for that reason, I encourage people not to try to get a mental picture of Satan. Because he's not a physical being, and so he's not picturable. 
Uh, when you think about Satan and demonic forces, all stuff like that, think more along the lines of, of like gravity or radio waves. Uh, we know gravity's real because we feel its effects. If you stumble, you fall to the ground. And we know radio waves are real because if you turn the radio, boom, there's sound. The waves were there before, but now that you have a transmitter that can, can, can uh, make sound out of them. Uh, but we can't picture them. You can't, you, you can't envision what they look like because they don't look like anything. Uh, think, along Satan, Satan, think about Satan that way. Uh, he's real. We feel his effects. Um, but, uh, but you can't picture him. And the minute we try to picture him or get a mental image of him, uh, we end up creating something that's mythic and feel, feels silly and unreal and justifies people not believing in him. All right, so just think in terms of radio waves and gravity. But I, for one, think it's very, very important that we don't think Satan is, the concept of Satan is silly and unreal. Uh, not just because that sets us against the authority of Jesus, who clearly believed in his reality, but also because it affects how you live. Uh, if it didn't affect how we live, Scripture wouldn't be so emphatic on how important it is to not be outwitted by the schemes of, of the enemy. And we, we hear about that in various ways uh, throughout the New Testament. Speaking of, of not being outwitted by Satan's schemes, I want to give this little pause here. Um, this week I read a book on Satan's strategies and schemes and leading to temptation and messing up with our lives. Uh, it's written by one of our regular teachers here. His name is Dan Kent teaches uh, in our Tuesday night classes, and uh, it was really good. Um, it's called The Training of KX-12. It's a short little book. It's about 100 pages. You can read it in like two hours, but it's, it's, it's along the lines of C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, if you've ever read those, and that's really a good book. But in some respects, honestly, I think this is even a little better. Um, it is just so clever, and it's, 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 it's really entertaining. Um, but it's also packed with theological insight and psychological and, and, and spiritual insight. And so I give it a hearty recommendation. You can get it on Amazon.com, end of infomercial, and no, I am not getting commission. So there you go. So um, we're talking about a reality here. Now, what I want to do just to get us into this material is I, I'm going to briefly review some of the material in the New Testament that, that talks about Satan and especially his role in temptation. And I want to say that if you're new here to Woodland Hills Church— uh, say in the last two years, you probably haven't heard this before because churches don't deal with this material very much, if at all. Uh, and, and it may kind of surprise you. Uh, it's a kind of a sobering reality, but I just encourage you to ask the question, is this biblical or not? And if it is, then accept it. So here we go. Uh, the first thing you got to know about Satan and the kingdom of darkness is that the New Testament ascribes remarkable authority to Satan and the kingdom of darkness. Uh, Satan is called the god of this age. Think about that. The god of this age. The, the ruler of this world. Jesus three times calls him the ruler of this world. Uses this word archon in Greek, which had to do with the highest ruling authority in any given region. Uh, god, as we were just saying, God is the lord of the whole cosmos. But in terms of who's got the primary influence right now in this world, it's Satan. And he's the principal power of the air, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 2. And John goes so far as to say that the evil one controls the entire world. Isn't that special? Uh, it means that, that this world, as the New Testament conceives of it, this world is enemy-occupied territory. And, and there is this being who is evil, who is set on destruction, who is the primary influence here. Now, that makes a big difference on how you look at the world. 
When you look at the world, do you think that everything's going as planned, that this is all part of God's will, everything's hunky-dory, or do you see it as enemy-occupied territory? And that there's this pervasive uh, influence uh, toward evil and destruction all around us. It makes a big difference how you view the world. Uh, The New Testament refers to Satan as the tempter. That's the main way he brings about destruction. He's tempting us. That's what this series is about. He's the enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. He's continually prowling, doesn't sleep. This cosmic agent is this roaring lion. And as we read during the worship set, uh, Jesus says that while he's come to give life and to give it more abundantly, uh, the thief, Satan, comes to do one thing only, and that is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's all he's about, killing, stealing, and destroying the life that God intends for us. And he's the primary ruler in this world. So we're living in enemy-occupied territory. And there's this continual, pervasive, negative influence uh, that's working throughout the world, trying to kill, steal, and destroy everything that God, every good thing that God has for us. Then to be more specific, we learn in the New Testament that Satan and demons influence to do these kind of things. Lie. Uh, Cheat on your spouse. Gossip. Next time you're thinking about gossiping, um, just know that there, that's not just about you. There's an influence that's pulling you this way. You're getting played in all these things. Whenever we give in to these kind of things, we're getting played. Uh, there's an influence that, to lead us to not forgive others and to become bitter, hold grudges against people. And then there's demonic forces that call people to fall into legalism, according to the New Testament. Legalism isn't just a religion for rule-oriented people. It's demonic. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's part of the kingdom of darkness. And then we learn that the, uh, this kingdom of darkness pulls people into believing false teachings and to become spiritually blind so they can't see the truth. And Jesus says that, that, there, that there's a demonic power that leads us to take oaths. And here's what he's getting at. He says, don't swear on anything else when you're, when you're trying to... Buttress up your authority. He says, don't swear on the temple or on Jerusalem. Or for us today, it'd be more like, don't swear on your mother's grave or on a stack of Bibles. I swear to God, I'm telling the truth. I swear on my mother's grave. He says, don't do that. Live a kind of life where your character is its own witness so that your yes is a yes and people believe you and your no's a no and people believe you. So you don't have to be leveraging credibility on other things. And then he says in verse 37, anything more than a yes or a no comes from the evil one. So the tempter is even involved in, in, in what we might think of as sort of trivial things, swearing on your mother's grave. No, he's even involved in that. And I have always found it really ironic that in, in our courts, you're, you have to swear on the Bible that you're going to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth uh, when the Bible itself says, don't do that. <laughs> What's up with that picture? Don't swear on the Bible, and therefore you swear on the, you swear on the Bible that says don't swear on the Bible. Okay, well, that's for the courts to figure out. They never asked my opinion about it. I don't know why. Okay, so we see here that, that this, and it's a sobering truth, but there is this, this kingdom of darkness, this influence that's always pulling us, even in small ways, uh, to, to sin, to live counter to the way God wants us to live. And we usually think that our sinning is just our own doing. And it's true that no one should ever say, the devil made me do it. That is a crock. Uh, the devil can't coerce anybody. People always have a choice. But what these passages are showing us is that it's never just our doing. Yes, we have to take responsibility for everything we do, but it's never just about us. There's other things at work. This ever-present kingdom of deception 
pulling us in, 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 in false ways. Uh, we live in enemy-occupied territory. And what that means, if it means anything, is this. We can't think that resisting the kingdom of darkness is something that we're only going to have to do on occasion. Um, the way the New Testament presents it, it's like the kingdom of darkness, the influence of the kingdom of darkness is, is, is like gravity on a physical level. Gravity is always working. It's always there. It's an ever-present reality. As long as you're on the earth, there's gravity. So also, as long as you're in this fallen world, there's always a pull downward. This kingdom of darkness pulls us downward, which means resisting this kingdom is something that we've got to accept we're going to have to do 24-7. It's an ongoing thing. We have to live in resistance Hence the title of this message, Living in Resistance. Um, so how do we do that? Let me start by just reviewing what we covered last week. We, last week we saw that as ingenious as Satan is, he's really only got one tool in his toolbox, and that's deception. So at the heart of all temptation is deception. At the heart of all temptation is a pull to mentally envision uh, things that are harmful and destructive as though they were helpful and, and, uh, and, and healthy and good. Uh, at the heart of temptation is the, the, te the pull to mentally envision sin, which is actually ugly and destructive, as though it was a positive thing, as though it was going to help your life, as though this is a reasonable and good thing to do. Um, we're, we're, as we said last week, we're hardwired to want or to act on our greatest want. And it's part of our hardwiring to want whatever we are in envisioning mentally as most positive. We envision it as positive which makes us want it, which then leads us to do it. And James tells us that when we give into that temptation and now we, we are envisioning the sin as a positive thing, we've conceived a sinful desire. And if we don't quickly abort that newly conceived sinful desire, we will give, it will give birth to sin. You mentally see it a certain way, so you want it, so you do it. We're hardwired to work that way. So now add to that truth that we covered last week, this truth, this week, that there is this ever-present pull towards deception. Ever-present pull towards deception. Uh, and what that means is that the, 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 the practice of seeing things in true ways, the positive is positive and the negative is ne negative, uh, and the process of resisting the temptation to see the sin as something positive, that's not something we are going to be doing on occasion. It's something that we've got to be prepared to do all the time because there's this ever-present pull to go otherwise. Um, it, I, we, we, it, the truth isn't something we can only think now and then. It's something that's got to saturate our brains. The New Testament teaches this all the time, over and over again. I'll just give three representative passages, uh, but these are powerful passages. Uh, the first one we covered last week, 2 Corinthians 10. Paul says that our warfare is not like the world. It's, it's spiritual and it's got divine power. And when we, it involves us destroying logismos, which we saw last week was our reasoning processes, uh, our, just our thoughts. Uh, we destroy every reasoning process and every hoopsoma, which is just a mental image. We, we think in terms of pictures. We got pictures and stuff in our head. We come against every thought and every image that conflicts with the knowledge of God, what we know about God in Jesus Christ throughout the New Testament. And in doing that, we take every thought captive to Christ. That's the goal. Every thought. Now, this isn't something you can do on occasion because your brain, you may have noticed, never shuts up. 
It is a ceaseless yapping machine. Yap, yap, yap. Even when you're sleeping, it's just talk, 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 talk. It never shuts up. If you don't believe me, lock yourself in, in the bathroom when you go home and, and, and try not to think a thought. I guarantee you, you won't get five seconds. At, at second number two or three, you'll all of a sudden hear something like, hey, you're doing pretty good. Or, or uh, uh, remember, don't think a thought, don't think a thought. It just won't shut up. It won't shut up. So it's always talking, and if we're supposed to bring every thought captive to Christ, well then, then we've got to be always attentive to what, what, what our brain is yapping about. It, it's going to yap. The question is, is, is your brain, uh, it is ceaseless yapping, is it yapping true stuff that makes you want true stuff, that makes you act in true ways, or is it yapping false stuff, false images, false thought processes that make you want false stuff, and that make you do false stuff, sinful stuff? Uh, We've got to, it's our job to monitor that, to take every thought captive to Christ. That's on us, and that means we have to be intentional about doing that. Because if we're not intentional about doing that, there is a power out there that's intentional about us not doing that. And it's continual. It operates like gravity. So that means we've always got to be intentional about what our brain is yapping about. That's where the war is fought. That's, that's where the battle is. The, the, the real temptation is, is, is not about what's outside of you. It's about, it's about what's going on in your brain. We think that that chocolate's enticing us, but what's enticing us is the fact that we're, we're living in this narrative that's presenting that chocolate as a positive thing rather than the negative thing that we've decided that we want it to be because we're trying to lose weight or cut down our sugar or whatever. Um, and, but the battle is, are we, how are we going to represent it? Because the way you represent it will determine whether you want it or not. The key, the, the key to resisting temptation, folks, is not exerting willpower to not do what you want to do. And you're wanting to do it because you're representing it in positive ways. The key to resisting temptation is to not represent it in positive ways so you don't want it, or at least you have the power to say no to it. That's where the battle is fought. It's not what's outside of us that tempts us. It's what we're doing between our ears that pulls us in one direction or another. And that's where the enemy's influence is. The enemy isn't in that little piece of chocolate saying, come and eat me, come and eat me. No, it's back, it's back two steps between your ears. And that's a voice that's saying, look how good that is. Look how yummy that is. You deserve a break today. Go ahead and get it. That's where the battle's fought. And so they're always, the kingdom of darkness is always intentional about pulling us one direction or another, even to the point of just saying, I swear on my mother's grave. Um, and so we've got to be intentional about what our yapping, ceaseless brain machine is, is yapping about. Is it true or is it false? Paul's make, Paul makes a, 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 a similar point in Ephesians 4. He says, look, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence or if there's anything worthy of praise, think on those things. Which means, if it's not true and honorable, if it's not just and pure, if it's not pleasing and commendable, if it's not excellent or praiseworthy, don't think on those things. Notice that you're doing that and set it aside and turn your brain to things that are honorable and pleasing and commendable and just and pure and excellent and worthy of praise. Uh, monitor your thoughts. Know that. Because see, if we're doing that, if our brain is filled with what's true and honorable and, and so on, well, then we're going to be wanting what's true and honorable, which means we're going to be doing what's true and honorable. But conversely, if what we're thinking about is false and dishonorable and not pleasing, not commendable, not just and pure, well, that's what we're going to end up wanting, and that's what we're going to end up doing. It all takes place between the ears. I, I've always said that, that to be a disciple of Jesus is first and foremost to discipline your brain. Because everything we do with our physical bodies is simply a manifestation of what we're already doing between our ears. So this is the important thing here. What, 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 
Are, are you monitoring your brain? Are you noticing when it's getting off track and not thinking truth and not thinking honorable things and just things and pure things? Finally, John says this. He says, uh, we, we are to be walking in the truth for we're given the spirit of truth. To walk in the spirit is to walk in truth. Now, that means that truth shouldn't be something that we just think about on occasion. When we come to church on Sundays, um, you know, there's a power altar that's always trying to pull you the other way. If you're not intentional on walking in the truth, you're going to be walking to some degree in lies. Truth is something we're supposed to be walking in, living in. Uh, we're supposed to eat in truth and sleep in truth and, and, and drive our car in truth, go to work in truth, mow the lawn in truth. Truth is supposed to saturate our brain and saturate our lives, our lives. And that's how we live in resistance to the kingdom of deception. The answer to deception is truth. Deception never goes to sleep. Truth can never go to sleep. Our minds have always got to be focused on truth, thinking truth thoughts, things that are consistent with the kingdom of God, things that are consistent with the truth that is revealed in, in, in Jesus Christ. We could say that truth, truth is the narrative or the story that we're to be living in. And this is the part that feels really huge to me. And it just strikes me as odd that the thing that is, is so important, we're going to see here, it's just all determinative, uh, that thing we hardly ever consider, and most people aren't even aware of it, and we hardly ever talk about it. Right now, in this moment right now, it feels like we should never talk about anything else. I feel like I should preach the sermon, the same sermon the rest of my life, because this contains everything. Here, here's the thing. Psychologists tell us, and you can verify this by doing a little introspection, that we all live in a story. We all live in a narrative. The story we tell ourselves it's, it's the way that our brain makes sense out of the world. Uh, it, it fits things into a coherent storyline. We live in a narrative. We're all, uh, the ceaseless brain, that brain chatter isn't just random. It, it, it finds cohesion in a story. And the story that we tell ourselves, it determines um, uh, our, our, our values, our aspirations, our goals. The story we tell ourselves, it, it's how we interpret our world, how we interpret our past, how we interpret the present, how we anticipate the future. The story we tell ourselves determines how we're going to represent things in our mind. It determines the images and thought processes that we see as positive uh, and the images and thought processes that, that we're going to see as negative. It's, it's, it all fits into the context of the story. So our story, the story we tell ourselves, uh, it, it, it determines what we want and what we don't want, and therefore what we do and what we don't do. Really, the story we tell ourselves is our, our experienced identity. It, it's really our personality. The ceaseless brain, it forms our personality by how it talks to itself all the time, all the time. And the thing is, most people aren't aware that they even have a story. We're so used to the stories we tell ourselves, we're not aware that we're living in a story that we created. We, we think we're like the proverbial fish that doesn't notice the water it's swimming in. We think our map is the territory, as I talked about several weeks ago. To begin to get, uh, become aware of what your story is, ask yourself questions like this. What... What pops into your mind most uh, throughout the day? Or what do you tend to think about when there's nothing in particular that you need to be thinking about? Uh, where does your mind go when, when it's got no place it needs to go? Right? Uh, or you might ask this question, um, what do you think about first thing in the morning when you wake up? Or you might get access to the story by saying, uh, what do you feed your brain with first thing in the morning? Uh, when you got on your iPhone, what do you check? What's on the forefront of your brain? That, that is one indication, a possible indication anyways, of the narrative that you're living in. Um, yeah, what's the default setting of your brain? Or another way is to ask, what do you tend to talk about the most when you don't have to talk about something else? 
What flows most naturally from your lips? What narrative are you living in? Uh, we all have somewhat different narratives, um, but they, they, they can fall into some family resemblance. Uh, so just for, for illustrative purposes, I'll, I'll just kind of highlight a couple of possible narratives that people live in, all right? Young people uh, often tend to live in a I'm going to be somebody narrative. Uh, they daydream about instinctively. Their mind gravitates towards thoughts and images, logismos and hoopsomas that, that about, about their greatness and, and the, the great athlete they're going to be or the great rock star they're going to be or the genius they're going to be or whatever. They, they, they just kind of tend towards that. Um, and sadly, some people never, never outgrow that. They're, they're going to be somebody till their dying day. Uh, there's, some folks live in... Um, uh, a narrative that's, that's more about um, uh, oh, it, 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 a narrative of, of woe is me. Uh, you maybe know people who live in the woe is me narrative, and their identity is, 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 is that of a victim. They're the victims. Uh, they're uh, keenly aware of how uh, unjust uh, life has been to them, and their thoughts, they ruminate about uh, injustices done to them and how you know, they get mistreated by other people. And since our narratives are the filters by which we interpret the world around us, guess what they notice the most? Anything that could possibly be interpreted as a diss. These are the people that are offended at the drop of a hat. You look at them wrong and it's like, oh, why are you treating me so evilly? And uh, it, that's just the world they live in and they tend to be really sad and miserable uh, people. Um, not, not, not really happy, ca ca happy campers. Some people live in a chicken little narrative, a sky is falling narrative. These are the drama kings and drama queens. And, and it's like normal life is just too boring, so there's always got to be a catastrophe happening. And if it's not a catastrophe happening, they'll, they'll make one. Uh, they just want to live in the drama because they'll never admit it, but the truth is that they get off on, they, get, they, they love the buzz of being hysterical. It's true. And, and if, if, if these people get into politics, well, then they be, they, that narrative turns into a we-must-win narrative, all right? Uh, and, and, and their thoughts will be gravitating perhaps towards, towards you know, the, they'll naturally think about their, their background buzz of their chatter, ceaselessly chattering brain will go on the latest thing that Trump said and Trump did and how it's destroying America and it's going to end the world. Or maybe they're on the other side of the fence and they're thinking about all the nasty stuff that fake news is saying about Trump and all that. But that's, that's just where they live. It's not an occasional thing to think about. If, if, they, if they're not distracted in something else, this is where their brain goes. They live in this... this Chicken little, sky is falling kind of thing. Uh, some folks live in this, this uh, in a, in a uh, did you hear about narrative? And th these people are the informers. Uh, yes, they love to just be the ones that let you in on some news. Did you hear about? So some of these folks uh, will, will obsess on celebrities. You know, they just, they, these, Get into celebrities, and did you hear about who, you know, who's putting on weight? Who's losing weight? You know, who's changing the body? Who broke up with who? who you know, they just, did you hear? That, you know, Brad and Angela broke up. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You know, they, and and, and the, Jane Fonda got a facelift, and Pamela Anderson got a breast enhancement or breast reduction or something with her breasts. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and they're just into this stuff. Oprah Winfrey got a big zit on the top of her nose. This is terrible. And Taylor Swift has turned into an alien. And, and it, it's, you know, it's endless. And this is really popular. People think about this stuff all the time. That's how you get magazines like The Daily and The Sun and all those other silly tabloid magazines and, or stations like TMZ. It's just gossip news. Did you hear about it? Did you hear about it? And what's going on is that, uh, that the, the, the lives of celebrities seems way more exciting than our mundane lives. And so we distract ourselves from the boredom and tedium of our lives by, by living vicariously off of theirs. In fact, all narratives have this quality. They spice up our life. They... they uh, we don't want to just face the 
tedium of our normal life. Our narrative helps us believe that we're into something, that we're part of something that's bigger. And, uh, and it's really happening. Some folks live in a, a um, I must help narrative. And, and, and these can be really noble and good, uh, but what, what, what's distinct about these folks is that they live there. They don't just think about these things when it's appropriate. They live in this narrative. And so they tend to be, their brain naturally goes to a, a cause that they've adopted. Um, and they must help this cause. They, they wake up in the morning, and that's what they're thinking about. And so it may be fighting racism, or maybe fighting sexism, or, or genderism. Uh, it, it may be that they're into uh, uh, gun control, or maybe they're into fighting for the rights for guns, or it could be that they're into abortion, or they could be into women's rights, or they may be gravitating towards you know, uh, with welfare of animals, or the environment, or economic justice, whatever it is. And, and those can be legitimate issues, but see, the, these folks live there. This is the, the, the default setting of the brain is there. A lot of you know that I'm really a big advocate for the humane treatment of animals. Um, and I like to talk about that. But I hang around some animal rights activists who drive me crazy because they don't talk about anything else. It's like their brain's incapable of being flexible anymore. This is, everything is about that. Say, look at that carpet. Oh, that reminds me of this animal issue. You know, it's, 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 it's just pervasive. Uh, some folks uh, who are closely related to the did you hear about narrative, they live in conspiracy theories. I'm sure you've met some of them. I've met some of them here at Woodlands Church. These are the folks who have the inside scoop on everything. Uh, and, and you know, they'll tell you the real story, what's really going on. Who's, who's really controlling the government? Who's controlling uh, the banks? Uh, you know, who really shot JFK? Uh, you know, it's, uh, who really brought down the World Trade Center? which actually is kind of an interesting question. Um, or, or, you know, who, who really built those pyramids? You know, how did they come to be? Or Stonehenge? Or, or you know, how, how did Trump really get elected? Uh, how did Clintons really get their money? You know, they're, they're on the inside of all this stuff. What really happened at Roswell, okay? What, we don't know, but it has something to do with Taylor Swift because she's an alien. So they live in the conspiracy theory. Some folks live in a, a surrogate reality of television or of movies. They just watch way too many movies or way too much television. And their brains actually are, are, are like caught in it, and they think about that stuff all the time. They're in on what's the latest, hottest, coolest, sexiest, most dramatic, horrifying new show out there. And, and, and that's the buzz you know, that, they're, that, that they're into. And, and they're, they think about how their hero is going to escape this predicament they're in, or how Jack Bauer is going to save the world for the 943rd time, or, or who is the bachelor going to choose? I just got to know. And, and that's their default setting. They just live in this kind of thing. Um, it, it, it consumes them. That's a, the background chatter of their brain is that. Uh, some folks live in a world of sports narrative where they're, they're, you know, they just know every detail about every sport team, that, who they're acquiring and who what and who's winning and who's losing. Or maybe they're into their, you know, their own sports, uh, what they're going to achieve, what the time is, how they're improving, or, or who their opponent's going to be or whatever. But that's the, that's the default setting of the brain. Some folks live in a what's, what's the buzz narrative. And they're always on Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever other million apps that are out there. And it, it's like they're afraid that they're going to miss something. And so they have to just be monitoring it all the time. It's a real prevalent narrative people live in. Uh, they think about what's going on with other people all the time. Uh, some folks live in a, uh, in fact, a lot of folks in America live in an I must get more narrative. Um, because we're, we're in a culture that conditions us to always want more. And so these folks, they ruminate about things that they don't have that other people have. Their brain just naturally goes there. Their thoughts and images in their brain are about what, 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 what their wish list. And so they think about how they want the better car and the bigger house and the nicer clothes and the finer food and more exotification and whatnot. 
They just live there. And some unfortunate folks live in a I-must-get-more-sex narrative. Um, their thoughts and images naturally gravitate towards recent sexual experiences or even more likely future possible uh, sexual experiences. That's the filter through which they interpret the world, and they're always looking for opportunities. And that narrative can lead down to some, ver some very dark paths and some serious addictions. As these folks, with their obsession, they get bored with ordinary sex, so they have to think of increasingly jaded ways uh, to satisfy their appetite. It's a scary road to go down. But that's just a sampling of some of the narratives that, 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 that people live in. Uh, we all live in some kind of narrative. Don't misunderstand me now, okay? I'm not saying we can't think about those things. We need to think about some of those things. We, we need to think about some of those issues, and, and that's good. But no one needs to be thinking about celebrities. <laughs> and, and you're probably better off not thinking about conspiracy theories. And um, I, I will say this, that if you're living in a woe is me narrative, the less you think about the woe and the more you think about what you have, you're blessed with and what you have that others don't have, the happier you're going to be. So lock that in. That's worth the price of admission right there. But yeah, we need to think about those things. But the question is, not do we have to think about these things on occasion, but is it the default setting of our brain? Is it the background chatter of our ceaselessly yapping brain? Is it the narrative, the story that we tell ourselves? Is it our residence? And see, here's the thing is that the vast, vast majority of people on the planet, they didn't, this narrative that determines everything about them, they didn't even choose it. Hardly anyone intentionally chooses a narrative. Uh, for the most part, the narrative cho chose them. For whatever reasons, they, just found, they, just, they inherited a narrative from the world. And because this world is, is enemy-occupied territory, their narrative is to some degree going to be deceptive, causing them to highlight negative things as positive, positive things as negative. But see, if we're kingdom people, um, we can't inherit our narrative from the world. We can't leave this up to chance, happenstance. If we're king, what it means to be a kingdom person, first and foremost, is that we are going to live in a kingdom narrative. And that's what these passages are getting at. When they tell us to take every thought captive to Christ, when they tell us to walk in the truth, just don't, don't think about it once in a while, but walk in the truth. And when it tells us to think only on what, is, on what is true and honorable and just and pure and pleasing and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy, it's saying, live in this kingdom narrative. 24-7. And see, that is how we resist 24-7, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of deception. The only antidote to deception is truth. And the, the, the deception is always intentional about pulling us aside. We've got to be intentional about always not being pulled aside, but keeping our mind fixed on the kingdom and on the truth. So here's some of the examples of some of the thoughts and some of the images uh, that, that, that are consistent with the kingdom and that we should be conditioning our brain to be thinking about as much as possible. The kingdom tells us that, that, that you are loved, that you're created in the image of a beautiful God. Remind yourself of that throughout the day. And that, that um, uh, you are loved with a perfect, unwavering, uh, unfathomable love. You're surrounded by God's perfect love every nanosecond of your life. Uh, uh, remind yourself of that. In fact, one of the great ways of living in the kingdom is to practice the presence of God. Practice be, be remaining aware that whatever else is going on around you, God is there. His presence is there. Whatever fact is true about a room that you're in, there's one other fact that hardly anyone, probably no one else is thinking about, but it's the most important fact, and that is that God is there. And you're surrounded by his love. It's called practicing the presence of God. I have a book on that if you want to go into it deeper. It's called Present Perfect. But be aware of God's presence. Uh, the kingdom tells us that this God gave his life for us so that to, to, free, to free you and the entire world from the bondage of, 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 of Satan and to reconcile you to God. And the kingdom... Uh, 
narrative tells us that when you accept it, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, praise God. And, and that you are seated far above all principalities and powers and rulers and dominions and authorities. And that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Download that app into your ceaseless yapping brain. And make that your default. Make that your go-to. Make that your gravitational point. Uh, it's, it's a glorious truth. And, and the, kingdom, the, the, the kingdom truth tells us that we are filled with his spirit. And his spirit is a spirit of, 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 not of fear, never of fear, but of power, love, and of self-control. And as, as, as powerful and influential as the kingdom of darkness is in this world, Scripture tells us that greater is he that is in you, that's the spirit, greater is he that's in you than he that, that is in the world, amen? Which means that you are able, as we sang, to be an overcomer. Yeah, then to walk in victory 24-7. The, the power is there. Remind yourself of that. Download that. Yap and yap and yap about that. Become obsessive about that. That's a glorious truth. In fact, it tells us that, that, that Satan was in principle defeated on Calvary. And so when we are aligned with Calvary, when we are consistent with Calvary, when that's on our brain and we're li living in that and walking in that, he's got no authority on us. He's got no authority whatsoever. We're kingdom property. And so we just resist the enemy and he must flee. And the kingdom tells us that when God died on the cross, that he created an entire new creation. Entire new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. Uh, God is not holding anyone's sin against them. Because Scripture says that if one died for all, then all have died. And so we can look at everybody here, as a, everybody we ever see in the world, as, as being part of that. God's claimed them. Uh, God has got a bear hug around them. They don't know it yet, but we are his ambassadors, and we're commissioned, and we have the honor and the privilege of announcing that good news to people and bringing them in the kingdom. Download that app. Make that part of your narrative. Think about that throughout the day. It's a glorious, wonderful truth. And then we are empowered and called to, to love others with the love that Jesus Christ had for us when he gave his life for us. And we do that whether they're a friend or whether they're, they're, they're a foe. Um, we're, we're empowered to, to be an advertisement of, of uh, God's kingdom by putting on display God's radiant character. The, the Father who loves like the rain falls and like the sun shines. We're empowered to do that. Remind yourself of that throughout the day. And then we're promised in the kingdom that that self-sacrificial love, that was revealed on Calvary. That self-sacrificial love is what is going to transform the world, praise God. Uh, it means that, that you are part of a movement, the movement that God is using to redeem the world. When, the, when history is done, everyone will see, everyone will see that it wasn't the, the wisdom of some government or the power of some military or the pra pragmatics of some law that changed the world and transformed the world. What's going to change and transform the world and what is the only hope of the world is the love that was revealed on Calvary and that's now being spread by all of his followers. Amen? Think about that. Obsess on that. Make that part of the background buzz of your brain. And, and, and it means that you are part of a movement that God's using to redeem the world. You're part of a kingdom that's promised to win, to overcome, and a kingdom that will never, never end. And, and however bad things may go, be going right now, your future's looking very bright because the scripture says that eye hasn't seen and the ear hasn't heard and it's never entered into the imagination of a person. What God has in store for those who love him, praise God. Amen. And the sufferings of this present age can't be compared to the glory that, 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 that awaits them. It ends very well. Think about that. Meditate on that. Ruminate on that. Uh, I tell you, if, if that becomes part of your brain structure, part of your default, your gravitational point, part of your background chatter, uh, it can't help but lift your spirit. It can't help but lift your spirit. What, what, our moods are all determined by what's going on between our ears. Get good stuff going on between your ears, and you're going to find that you're in a good mood a whole lot more. <laughs> and, and it, but the most important thing, you don't do it to adjust your mood. You do it because it's true. This is the kingdom that we're called to live in. This is the narrative that we need to condition to make part of our brain. Now, what we're up against 
Well, see, and here's the thing. If, if we live in that kingdom narrative, then we look at the world through that kingdom narrative, which means that we see things according to the kingdom. And so we will be highlighting as positive everything that's consistent with the kingdom, and therefore wanting what's consistent with the kingdom, and therefore doing what's consistent with the kingdom, and we'll be highlighting as negative everything that's inconsistent with the kingdom, which demotivates us in that direction. We don't want that, so we don't do that. But the battle takes place between the ears, not in the moment of decision, but rather in the thought processes that lead up to that. That's where the battle's fought. The, the, the biggest challenge we face on this, folks, um, when we have to will it, and will it continually and intentionally, but the biggest issue is, is remembering. Because our, our brains are creatures of habit. And they'll always be, it will be trying to pull us back, especially early on when we're first starting this, pull us back into the old narrative we lived in, which will cause us to forget the kingdom narrative. The task is to remember. Now, here's something that the Lord said to the Israelites uh, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6. It's just a profound word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Now, if you do that, here's what it looks like. Recite these words to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise up. And to remember this, bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So here's the pattern. Uh, you, you hear the word, so you commit to keeping the word in your heart. And so you think about and talk about the word with your children, with your family, with your friends, with strangers, and you talk about it when you're at home and you talk about it while you're away. In other words, you do it all the time. You saturate your life with this. And to remember this, you bite it on your hand, on your forehead, and gates, and on your doorposts. So also here this morning, we've heard this word, and it's a powerful word. It's, it's a liberating word. It's a beautiful word. But it will only be so if we keep it. So can we resolve to keeping this? And what that will look like means that we resolve to be thinking about this and talking about it to our children and our spouse and our family and our friends and strangers. And we talk about it when we're at home and we talk about it while we're away. It's always on our mind and therefore it's always on our lips and therefore it's always in our actions. And to remember this, I, I don't know if I would encourage you to bind it on your hand and put it on your forehead. That might a little, look a little silly. But we've got post-it notes, and they didn't have post-it notes, so, so there's that. But whatever it takes to surround yourself, to reinforce that narrative, because remember, we're behind enemy-occupied lines here. There's enemy-occupied territory, and there's always a pull in the other direction. So whatever it takes to remember to be living in this narrative, to be thinking about this narrative, having thoughts and images that, that deal with this narrative, uh, whatever it takes, we've got to be willing to do it. Reading the Bible can be, on a regular basis can be so important because it reinforces that narrative. Or listening to sermons. Um, just feeding yourself with the word it can be so important because it reinforces this narrative. I met a, a guy over in Europe a couple weeks ago who was just saying how the last year he's been downloading our sermons and he, he drives for a living and so he's always listening to these sermons and, and he says it's just completely changed him. He can't believe, his wife can't believe how much he's changed. Things he, he used to not want, he wants and things he used to want, he doesn't want anymore and he's just completely different. And the reason is because he's saturating himself with this. He's, it, it, it's become his narrative and therefore it becomes his wants, and therefore it becomes his actions. Uh, whatever it takes. This, this is why uh, community is so important. Kingdom community. 
we are largely shaped by those we hang out with. And we have to hang out with unbelievers, but our, the community we, identi- we need a community that we identify with that reinforces this narrative. A community that where you talk about Jesus, you talk about how the glory of salvation and the kingdom and what's going on in your life and how God's moving. It keeps it real. It keeps it there. It keeps it on your brain, whatever it takes. Putting post-it notes in strategic places, whatever. Putting reminders on your iPhone. It's just so cruel. Every thought captive to Christ, coming against every logismos and hoopsoma that is in contradiction to the truth of who you are and who God is in Christ, and taking that captive and bringing it under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. So I, I, I want to end by having us do the same exercise we did last week, but now doing it with this background here, okay? Um, think about, if it helps you close your eyes to do this, feel free to do that. Think about the last time that you fell into temptation. You tempted with something and you gave into it. You sinned. And we don't do this to bring about shame or guilt or anything. The only reason for looking into the past is to learn from it. So I want us to learn from this. And when you have that, now ask the all-important question. Try to access what were you thinking? What was going on in your head? What were you hearing? What were you seeing in your head that led up to that action? That made that action reasonable and positive. And whatever else was going on, I can promise you this. You were, in your mind, seeing that action as something positive. You maybe believed it was wrong, but what you actually saw in your brain was positive, which made you want it, which made you do it. Okay, so just try to get on that internal narrative. How would you talk yourself into that one? And now will you identify that thought process as the temptation? It wasn't the activity that tempted you. It was the thought process. That it was giving into that thought process that led to that activity. The enemy doesn't operate out there. It operates in here. So identify that as a temptation. And then will you make the commitment that the next time you find yourself starting to think that way, you will immediately turn your thoughts to what is true and honorable and just and pure and pleasing and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. You'll see that thing as the negative, destructive thing that it actually is. Represent it that way, and it will demotivate you from going that way. And then turn your mind to what is true. And help, ask, ask the Spirit to help you to notice it early on. That's where the temptation occurs. And then now I want to zoom out and ask a larger question. And that is, and the Holy Spirit help us to get honest with ourselves here. What narrative do you really live in? What's your narrative? Um, I'm sure if you're a kingdom person, the kingdom is part of your narrative. But see, the king... Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. The kingdom isn't supposed to be part of something else. Everything else is supposed to be part of the kingdom. That came out just right. The kingdom is not supposed to be part of something else. Uh, Rather, everything else is supposed to be part of the kingdom. Um, What is your narrative? What do you think about the most? Where does your mind go when it doesn't have anything, any particular place it has to go? Uh, What's on your brain? What's the story that you tell yourself? To what degree is it kingdom? To what degree isn't it? And I just want us here to commit to hearing this word, commit to keeping this word, and doing everything we need to, to install this word in our brains and making it the new default center, to condition our brains to naturally gravitate to kingdom stuff, to have the kingdom on our mind. Um, and, and you may talk to friends and family saying, let's, let's, rem- let's remind each other about this and, and, and have Jesus on our lips more and, and to be thinking about this. Uh, but just to commit, because see, 
The kingdom needs to be the canvas under which everything else takes place. We all have to think about a lot of different things. You can't just, just be thinking about Jesus. You've got to think about how you're going to get your car fixed and all the other things in life. But all that needs to be consistent with the kingdom. The background, the background chatter for all of that, the thing that frames all of that, uh, has got, the canvas against which our whole life is painted has got to be the kingdom. That's got to be the goal. To make the kingdom our gravitational point, the thing that we gravitate to, to uh, the natural default setting of our brain. If you're in agreement with that, with that if, you're agree, if that's going to be your goal, say amen and stand up. Amen. No, I said say amen. amen. All, right. All right. So I want to ask the prayer teams to come forward here. And if you are here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, I encourage you to come forward and pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you. And if you're not a devoted follower of Jesus, uh, which is different than asking if you're a believer. If you're, if you're not yet a devoted follower of Jesus, but are interested in that, and I encourage you to be interested in that, come up here and talk to these folks. They would love to uh, explain to you what that is all about. As we leave here, can we do it as people who are committed to discipling our brain, according to truth, according to the kingdom, according to Jesus Christ? If you're in agreement with that, say amen, and go out and show hospitality. Amen. amen. God bless you guys. Go spread the kingdom.